Good morning. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4 today. Once again, in verses 7 through 11, the end is near, so live like this, part 4. One of the great things about expositional preaching, where you go through books and you go verse by verse and explain and apply, is that you can't get on hobby horses, you take what's next. And today we're looking at verses 10 and 11, and we've been going verse by verse through Peter for quite a while. And we've been looking for the last four weeks at these, these five verses. And what we've seen is that we need to live first with a holy expectancy. Expecting Christ to return at any moment. And displaying costly love. Having a ready hospitality, as we saw last week. And engaged, and this is what we're going to see today, in godly ministry. Godly ministry. It's a very practical application of the truth of God's word into our lives. And um, did you see the little piece of PVC? Okay, we'll get to that. I just uh, don't forget about it. Okay, in fact, I need someone to volunteer to remind me if I forget. Can someone volunteer? I see that hand right back there. I see both of those hands. So we won't forget. Okay, because you won't forget. All right. So turn to First Peter four, and if you're able, please stand with me to read God's word. Going to read the same five verses, verses 7 through 11. And this is the word of God. We stand to honor God. It's, it's probably weird to some people, but you know, we're going to sit to hear the sermon. I just think that when we stand, it puts us in a different frame of mind. And it did happen in the Bible where people stood when the people opened up God's word. And I just, I just want to say, all over, people are denying God the the word of god churches christian schools um, individual believers and, and and saying well it's not really inspired it's not really authoritative it's not really inerrant and that's just not the case it is absolutely authoritative it is infallible it is inerrant it is the word of god and we love it and we're going to trust god to use his word in our lives today 1 Peter 4, beginning at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, please use your word in our lives today. We want to be yielded to you and surrendered and trusting and resting in you. Lord, do with us what you will. In Christ's name, amen. So we're looking at verses 10 and 11 today, and it's really a simple message what this What this passage is telling us 
It reveals three truths to us, and they're simple. The first is that every Christian, every believer has been gifted by God. And the second truth is that every Christian, every believer, is to use that gift to serve others. And the third truth is that every Christian, every believer, is to glorify God with that gift. Very simple. Every Christian has been gifted. Every Christian is to use that gift to serve others. And every Christian is to glorify God with their gift. Looking at this passage, it's something I've been saying every week, but it's, it's not disconnected. We're not just talking about serving now, and it was hospitality last week. They all go together. And the first thing we saw in terms of a review here is we saw in, in terms of how we should live in light of, of Christ's imminent return is with a holy expectancy. A holy expectancy. Verse 7 says the end of all things, literally the return of Christ, is at hand. So the nearness of Christ's return, that sudden, visible, bodily, personal, promised return of Christ should be expected by us at any moment, and that we would then live in a way that pleases God most. That we would pray expectantly, that we would be surrendered to God, that we would trust in Him, that we would rest in Christ. Our hope in the imminence of Christ's return then would have a direct effect on our living for Jesus and the gospel. The second thing we saw in terms of how we should live is that we ought to live displaying costly love. Verse 8 reminds us of how primary agape love is for fellow Christians. It's an eager love. It's earnest. It is deep. It is literally stretching love that stretches to the uttermost. It is not a, a sentimental reaction. It is not a, a feeling, it is a decision of your will that leads to action. It's costly love. And it's a big deal because, because love covers a multitude of sins. It bears all things. You forgive when you know God's forgiving love in your own heart. It displays, by the way, the the beauty of the gospel. Costly love really magnifies and showcases the glory of Christ. God stretched to the uttermost to save us when Christ shed his blood in our place on the cross. And so we, in turn, we are transformed personally by the gospel to stretch beyond our limits, beyond what we can naturally do because it's a supernatural work of God in our hearts and our lives. And we see that God's love protects us from sin's damaging effects. We are freed in Christ from the power and penalty of sin. And so we also are called to protect others from the effects of their sin. We don't do the forgiving. We don't do the changing. But we can't ignore sin. We can't condone it. We can't celebrate it. But we confess it. And we, and we forgive in a costly way. If you forgive in a costly way, it means you You forgive at great cost to your pride and your grudges and your resentment and your anger. 
A third thing that we saw in terms of how we should live, we saw this last week, is to show and to be ready to show hospitality. Verse 9 says to show hospitality to one another without grumbling, where you are muttering under your breath about having to help. We saw a high-level definition of that, that it is God's providential care and provision for people through His people. We also saw a ground-level definition. It is God's enabling to share your heart, your life, your, your resources, your, your belongings, without qualification and without expectation of return. You might not get your reciprocal saw back. Verse 7 basically is telling us, you got a priority here. And the priority is Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back soon. And that should lead us to dependent prayers, plural, all sorts of talking to God. And, and verse 8 tells us really we have a, a, a protective covering where it says that love covers a multitude of sins. That's a word for a hut or a cabin. We have this protective covering of earnest love that stretches beyond to protect family members in the body of Christ. And then this, the very practical expect, expression of that costly love is hospitality. And today what we're seeing is a very powerful stewardship because it is from God. It is from Him. So the fourth thing we're seeing here is, and we're going to see this, in terms of what we need to be engaged in as we anticipate Christ's return, is godly ministry. Godly ministry. The, The right people, because they're gifted by God, are in the right service, the right ministry, and they're serving one another for the right reasons. They want to glorify God. Godly ministry, I just use two overused words, and sometimes overused words lose their impact in our lives. Call it God-dependent life. Call it God-focused service. Call it sacrificially serving Jesus. What it means to be engaged in godly ministry is this. By godly, I mean like God, God-like, reflecting His glory. Things that God is pleased in. It's dependent on Him. And by ministry, I mean service. Servant leadership. Sacrificially serving Jesus. And godly ministry flows from godly life. It's not just for professional clergies and elders and deacons and deaconesses and ministry leaders. It is for everyone in the body of Christ. Did you notice? Verse 10 begins as each one. Peter is not writing just to the leaders in the church. He will address the elders when he gets to chapter 5. But he is addressing every every member of Christ's church. He was writing to these elect exiles, these scattered churches throughout Asia, and he says, each has received a gift. And by the way, I've said this every week, but the serving here, this godly ministry, is not separate from hospitality and costly love and this holy expectancy of Christ's return. It's all, it's all connected together. It all intersects. It's, it's related. It, serving is not a separate thing. It's the outflow of a holy expectancy and of costly love and of ready hospitality. We talk a lot at Grace Orange about sacrificially serving Jesus, don't we? You hear it every week. 
It's what we want to do. It's our intent. God has transformed our lives by the gospel, and we want to glorify God as a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. So we, we state it. We put it into words. Not words that are going to make us more comfortable, but words that are going to stretch us beyond our limits and stretch us beyond what we are already doing. This is easier said than done. It's very easy to say, well, yeah, that's what's written on the, on the handout. That's what's, that's what's on the website. Check. We, we do that. It's something for us to aspire to. And our actions should flow out of who we are in Christ. So when you come to these two verses in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, and it says, quite simply, serve one another with your God-given gifts, basically. The question I have for you is, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? Are you readily engaging in serving others with your God-given gifts for the glory of God and the good of others? Are you doing that? Because you need to figure this out in your life. You've got to decide what you're really about. So there's these three truths, and we're just going to go one by one. The first truth is that every believer has received a gift. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift. The way this is worded, the tense that it's in, it is a statement of fact. It is settled. It's been decided already. The gift has been given, or gifts have been given. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. But it says, as each has received a gift. And what you see is that in Christ's love, costly love finds its expression, its outlet in the use of spiritual gifts. They're very tied to the one another's. You want to you use your gifts, then practice the one another's and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not for us to draw people to ourselves, but to benefit and bless others. This word each implies that every person in the church has received a spiritual gift. I just use that term spiritual and it just says gift. It's because the Greek word charisma is the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 12, translated spiritual gift. In the same way, this is what Peter's saying, in the same way that you've each received a gift and you've received it freely, you've received it out of God's grace, and it's not by your merit, you are to employ it for one another. The, the term gift implies at least one gift. If you are a Christian, you have at least one gift. But it should not be taken to mean that you only have one gift. You might have three But you shouldn't feel less than if you only have one. It's the manifestation of of, of God's grace for the common good, what you've been given. And every one of you who are in Christ have been given a gift. No one can, can sit there and say, I got nothing. God didn't give me nothing. I'm just, I'm just empty. 
It's not true. This is a statement of fact that's been decided and settled. The gift has been given. You have a gift. With the gift of eternal life, you come to faith in Christ and you believe in the shed blood of Christ for your sins. You believe in the salvation by, by Christ alone. You get gifts to bless the body of Christ. That's, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And God takes you from self-centered living to other-oriented serving. You're no longer striving for yourself. You are serving for the sake of others and the glory of God. But I think that there are lots of Christians running around having absolutely no idea what their spiritual gift is. That's tough. It's really tough to think about. I don't see how a growing Christian cannot know what their gifts are. Think of it this way. If you know what your gifts are, how did you find out? How was it confirmed? I guarantee it wasn't by taking a test. People want a spiritual gift test. They say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is because my church hasn't given me a test yet. We're not giving tests today. There's a test. Well, there, here's a test from the Bible. Paul says it. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. You want to take a test? Do you know the Lord Jesus? Do you really know him? Or are you just saying that? Are you putting your faith in him every day, apart from anything you can do on your own? But you want to know how to get your how to figure out your spiritual gifts? You're not taking a test. And by the way, I have bought reams of those tests. I've given out tons of those tests. I bought stacks of those tests. You need to know what your gift or gifts are. You need to know. Well, we're not giving you a test. Because you don't find out just by looking at a list and picking the ones that look good and saying, oh, I want that one. I mean, it's like, it's not a registry. <laughs> buy me this gift. You're not like the kid with the, that's the, the, the rich kid who says to their dad, you buy me a pony or else for my birthday. It's not the way it goes. God gives the gift. He, he figures it out for you. But how do you figure out what you have? By the way, it behooves me to tell you. It is my duty to tell you how to figure out what your spiritual gifts are, because we are in this together. You find out your gift by doing all the good things that God inspires you to do because you love Jesus and you want to serve him with your life. Some of you are like, just, can you just give me the test? <laughs> you figure it out by doing what you're called to do. You're like, I don't know. I don't have a test. How can I know what I'm called to do? Forget about the test. Everyone in Christ's body is gifted. So if you're a Christian, you're gifted. And you identify your gift by doing what you're called to do. Let me put it this way. Discovery of God's gifting in your life comes by doing the good things you desire to do for his glory 
because you love Jesus and you want to serve him. Some of you are like, that's too simple. But that's from God. As each has received a gift, and discovery of gifts come from doing something, trying something, trial and error. Let me tell you my story. My story was when I was growing up, I wanted to be a policeman more than anything. In fact, I have a framed picture that my mom kept that I think I drew in about the second grade. It's an awesome piece of art. It's in color. I think it's crayon. And it has, it has a picture of a police car with its lights blaring because the lights used to be up on top in these, yeah. And, and I'm shooting at the bad guys from the window. And here's what it says. When I grow up, I want to be a policeman so I can catch people. Lo and behold, God made me a pastor so I could be a fisher of men. But I wanted to be a policeman really bad. And then, then I got into, into high school and college and I, and I got into retail. And uh, even business ownership. That's a whole other story. Very interesting. And, I, and then I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to make stuff and create stuff. And, and then I got into banking, all within a spirit, uh, span of three years here. <laughs> and, and then I got saved. And I still want to have my own business and make lots of money and be an entrepreneur. That was my big word for the, the week, I guess. And then one day I was uh, at Downey First Baptist. I remember exactly where I was sitting in the college room on this long bench. And a friend of mine says, what would you do if you could do anything? Sky's the limit. What would you do? Instantly, my reply was, tell people about Jesus. To which came the reply, maybe God is calling you into ministry. And immediately before my eyes flashed a vision of all the pastors I knew, and I'm like, no way in the world. I'm not as good as them. I'm not as cool as them. I'm not as gifted as them. Uh Uh-uh, that can't be. Now, obviously, I came to learn that you can and should tell people about Jesus in every line of work, paid and unpaid, as a believer. We know this. But what I found was that I I shared the Word of God with people, and they were blessed. I I started going, once again, but as as a new believer now, to uh, Monday night basketball with the college group, and at, at halftime of during the games, we would sit down and have a devotional. And, and as I was sitting there, all I wanted to do was, was, was do that. I wanted to be the person that sat there and got everyone in a circle and, and shared the gospel with, with them. And, and I had been an unbeliever when I first started playing there, so I, I heard was not listening, by the way. Okay, I didn't get reached through that ministry in, in that regard. But one day I got asked. I didn't push myself to do it. Someone asked me, would you like to do this? And I think I kept that for several years, uh, and I kept doing that. I loved it. I, looked, I worked on it all week long, couldn't wait till Monday night to give a devotional during halftime, on, during basketball games. So I found that I could share the Word of God, and people seemed to be blessed, and then I would give words of encouragement, and they seemed to be lifted up, 
And I seemed to have some sort of gift to organize ministry things. But I didn't take a test. I took one later and it confirmed what I already knew. I just did the good things that, that I wanted to do and God kept opening doors to do those things. He kept giving me a greater desire to do those things. I remember, all I wanted to do was just preach the word. And I remember telling people as I was graduating from college, I got a business degree uh, in human resource management. I remember saying, I'm going to take some interviews in the marketplace and I'm going to apply to seminary and we'll see which one God opens up. I didn't send one application in to any, for any interviews in the marketplace. All I wanted to do was run straight to seminary. I was already working at the church. That's all I wanted to do. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And people will twist that sometimes and say, Yeah, that means that I will get anything I want. You delight yourself in, 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 in Jesus, and, and you can have the desires that he wants you to have for the glory of God in Christ, not for your glory, because it's God's work, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given are for Christ's church. They're not for our reputation. They're not, they're not for our glory. They're for God's glory. And they're to help other people. And if you don't know what your gift is, we're not saying... Uh, you know, first of all, you're already saying, well, you told me I was not a growing Christian. <laughs> Remember I said, I don't see how a growing Christian could not know their gifts. So you're like, "It call me an ungrowing Christian. I'm out of here. And we're not telling you that you're, you know, you got to go home and figure it out and come back next week and report it to the whole church. We are in this together. It is our responsibility as a community of believers to have responsibility for one another. This is the one another. Serve one another with your gifts. Hospitality, costly love. So if someone doesn't know what their gift is, it's not an individual problem only. It's a community issue. You need to help each other and equip for effective service and ministry. Godly ministry. So the first thing we see in this passage is, is every believer has a gift from God. Verse 10. So you need to discover your gift or your gifts. The second thing we see, it's a second truth, is that every believer is to use their gift to serve others. The second truth and the way it's worded and the tense that it's in describes an ongoing process Whereas the, the gift being given was a, something already settled, the, the employ it in serving one another is an ongoing practice of life. You are to keep using your gift to serve others. The word for gift here is diakoneo. It means to serve and to minister. We get our word deacon from it. And the whole idea of, of this is that you love one another by serving each other with the gifts God has given you. And, and you do so, you are then a good steward, literally beautiful steward. You're beautiful in, in the eyes of God because you are stewards of the manifold, the many 
colored, the very colored grace of God. Because the grace of God has many beautiful effects upon the lives of of the elect, of the redeemed, of, of believers. In verse 11, Peter gets really specific. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. The cool word, oracles. What does it mean? It means that whatever you say as a believer, you're just speaking God's word? No. Peter is talking about preaching and teaching the word of God here. And the idea is when you speak and you, you preach and teach the word of God, you need to know you're dealing with the word of God. It's not just your ideas. Look, God can use my words. Think of just a sermon. God can use my words to help you. But he will use his word to change you, to transform you. The power is in the word, not in the words I choose to use. I can help you. God can help you through my words, but he will change you through his. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God is giving the strength. Now, the early church believed that the coming of the Spirit was, was the mark of the new, the new community that God was putting together. And one way they recognized the presence of the Spirit was by their gifts. It's the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, as 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. What's awesome about what Peter does here is he condenses the gifts into two primary categories. Have you noticed that? Speaking gifts and serving gifts. He doesn't list them out like like Paul does. There are gift listings in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. Gifts that are listed. But here, Peter condenses the gifts into these two primary categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Let's think about the gift listings for a moment. You want to go to Romans 12. Romans 12. And verses 6 through 8. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. There it is. You've got gifts that differ according to the grace given to you. Use those. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributions, leading, mercy. In 1 Corinthians 12, go over there. In verse 7, it says, to each, same word, that each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There's a purpose. It says that all the gifts that are given are empowered by one and the same Spirit. The Spirit gives the gifts, and the Spirit empowers the gifts. And, And it says that He gives to each one individually as He wills. You've all been given a gift if you're a believer in Jesus. You've got it, and the Holy Spirit gave it to you, and it was willed by God. That's pretty awesome. 
Ephesians 4 tells us that, that God gave uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. But here's what I want you to notice about the lists. They're all different. The gift lists are all different. No one gift is on every list. And no list contains all the gifts. That should tell us something. What can we glean from this? I think what we can, what we can conclude, it's legitimate to, to conclude that they are not exhaustive lists. They're, they're multifaceted. It's the multifaceted grace of God. There are various types of gifts within any one gift. Not everyone who is gifted to preach and teach or evangelize or show mercy does it in the same way. You could say, now this might be an idea that might blow your mind a little bit, but I want you to think about it. You could say there is almost a limitless variety of different spiritual giftings from God that are all manifestations of the varied and abundant grace of God. Now, some people treat God's gifts as if it's a registry. I want that one. Get, one. get that one for me. Get me the pony. But that's not how God does it. He distributes. You've got speaking gifts. It says if you, if you speak, do it, by, do it as if you're speaking the oracles of God. What that means is he's not talking about describing casual conversation but preaching and teaching the word of God. It means if you're speaking, if your gift is in speaking, do it by God's authority. The authority of the word of God, not your own. Think about Peter speaking to the household of Cornelius. He spoke the word of God. Think of Paul in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, we are not like many who are peddling the word of God for profit. He says, on the contrary, we speak in Christ before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Whoever speaks from a God-given gift to teach and preach the word of God needs to do so humbly and yieldedly and dependently and confidently that God will do his work in and through his people. You've got gifts like prophecy and knowledge and wisdom and teaching and exhortation. If you have those kind of gifts, do it, do it knowing you're handling the word of God. If you've got serving gifts, that's the other category. You do it by God's strength. It's very clear. Do it by the strength which God supplies. So when you serve others, you are to serve in God's strength, not yours. Don't don't serve from your own reservoir of, of strength, but God's unlimited supply of grace. Leadership and and helps and giving and mercy and faith and discernment. God will give you exactly what you need at the exact time. But every gifting and every combination of gifts isn't exactly the same. God mixes it in with the personality of the person and their unique wiring. and Your desires and your abilities and And then when you exercise the gifts God gives you, it doesn't look like every other person with that same gift. It's very easy for us to take, let's say, the gift of mercy and say, well, that's what it looks like because that person 
exercises it that way, and then we try to copy their way of showing mercy instead of trusting God's Spirit to help us be merciful to help others. When you exercise your gifts, it doesn't look exactly like every other. Think snowflakes and butterflies when you think gifts. They fulfill a a similar role. They, They look and feel much the same, but the outworking is unique every time. But the ultimate outcome stays the same. The glory of God and the growth of Christ's church. I think it's interesting. It's an observation that many people who sense a call to gospel ministry in America, they move through an academic program of preparation. And they go to school and they present themselves you know, to become a pastor or something with little or no record of service other than academic achievement. But in contrast, third world pastors seek further preparation only after the gift for ministry has been shown in years of service. William Carey, he went to India and he was compelled with a missionary vision. He'd already demonstrated his gifts as a linguist by mastering Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Dutch, and French. He had shown his pastoral gifts in caring for his church. So his gifts as a missionary statement and educator became evident. And he gave this challenge. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. See, every Christian is gifted by God, and you've got to discover what that is. And you, do, you discover it by doing. And then you are to use your gifts to serve others. You deploy the gifts. And then the third truth. The third truth is that every believer is to glorify God with their gift. That should keep us humble. Should keep us from exalting ourselves. It is our natural propensity when we're not walking by the Spirit to magnify our gifts and others' gifts and try to magnify ourselves rather than magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had to be reminded. He had these great revelations from God and God gave him a thorn in the flesh so that he will not exalt himself. He realized the power was of God, that his adequacy was in Christ, that his sufficiency was in Christ. He realized that God must be and will be praised. Last part of verse 11. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You do what God says. You've got a gift. You use it to serve others so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter ends with a a doxology. Praise. And by the way, that, that word glorified should be translated glorified, not praised. Some of your Bibles have the word praised in them. That's, that's not a good translation. Praise in the Bible is almost exclusively verbal. Glory, on the other hand, applies not just to your words, but to your attitudes and your actions that please God, that honor God. Did you catch, did you catch what Peter is saying here? That you do all that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And many of us would say, well, why didn't it say through us? It's through Jesus Christ. When God looks at a believer, he sees the righteousness of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, 
the goodness of Christ. The thing is, the Bible says very clearly, Christ in, in you, the hope of glory. Take out, here's your PVC time. PVC time. Here's the idea. By the way, I've done a lot of work on my sprinklers recently, and I've used a lot of these. Angela even said, I thought you were buying those for the yard. <laughs> we'll have leftovers, I'm sure. PVC, think of your sprinklers. One-way flow. In one way and out. Doesn't go. Would you love your sprinklers to be flowing two ways? House be, you know, flooded? No. It's all one way. God wants to work in you and through you to bless others for his glory. I want you to remember that, and I guess some, some things like this help me remember. I don't know. Put, don't, you could use it in your yard. <laughs> Take another if you need to do your sprinklers this afternoon. Uh, put it around your neck with a gold chain. Do whatever you want with it. We tend to exalt gifts and their recipients. We're to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to serve and to give his life. We, he is calling us to serve in his name. In humble service that we discover the gifts that we have. Because we are instruments in the Redeemer's hand. We are tools in his toolbox. Paul was willing to spend and be spent for the souls of others. Serve Jesus with all your might. I want to serve Jesus with all my might. Every ounce of energy that God has given me. Don't worry that you're going to run out of resources. You know, a bunch of us here at Grace now have these electric cars. Uh, that's all electric, not the ones that are hybrids. And um, there's a fear when you're at one mile left that the, the whole thing will come to a jolting stop. And I've heard that's what happens. But you can use your gifts in Christ with confidence that any resources you spend will continually be replenished by God. There's a subtle danger in thinking about spiritual gifts. Many of us will say, well, I couldn't figure it out, and I've failed, and I'm just going to quit. Or we feel like we've succeeded, and we try to bring attention to ourselves. We start in the service of the Lord with a humble mind, and then people start telling us how good we are at something, and we start thinking it's because of our own unique specialness. It's all for God's glory. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. It is, for, it is from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So I, I think it's awesome and appropriate and, and exactly what we need that Peter ends this, this, this section with a doxology, with praise to God, to Jesus Christ whom he knew as a man. Words of praise appropriate only for one who is fully God. Once again, the deity of Christ on display. By the way, that word dominion also can mean power. And the idea is that all the powers of creation, all the powers that God has given mankind, are to be given over more fully in service to Jesus and his church in godly ministry. Because Jesus worked for our good and his glory. Jesus did the heavy lifting, and he still does. And he wants to work in and through us for his glory and others' good. Lord God, 
I think there's very good reason you have placed the doxology in the context of spiritual gifts. For your praise, not for ours. Peter would have known that oh so well. He who competed with his fellow disciples for preeminence and preferential treatment, jockeying for position in the kingdom while you were going to the cross for our sin. Lord God, I pray that that you would humble us, that we will not wear any false righteousness as a cloak to hide our true condition, but that we would not try to put ourselves in a better light, but that we would come to you humbly, wanting to be freed from our self-serving ways, doing a lot of repenting. Thank you, Lord, for the repenting you, you grant us because we sin a lot, but we admit how much we need you. And we thank you that if you, if you, Lord Jesus, set us free, we are free indeed, free to serve your purposes. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.